Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Maybe you want to get a piece of that. Pretty good. I want to talk about sexy teens. I was getting erections. It's a very creepy feeling. I can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again. None of this is relevant. Pokemon, Pokeballs. 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I was in a forest recently, and as I was walking through the forest, there was this beautiful bird sound. Don't know what kind of bird. I, I can't even explain it. It was kind of like a tweet to woo sound. It wasn't a chirp. My first thought was that would be a good ringtone. And so I got out my phone and I was trying to record the sound of the bird so that I could then maybe edit it a little bit and make it into a really nice ringtone. And there was a fucking crow or something that started squawking and ruining it. The thing is, after it had been ruined for me by nature, I realized just how disconnected from nature I must be. If I was hearing a beautiful sound and my first thought was, oh wow, that'd be a great ringtone. That is on top of the fact that I almost never have the sound on on my phone. I only have the light function on. So basically if I get a message or something, the light starts flashing because my phone is always on my desk and I'm basically always at my desk. If I'm not, I won't be answering messages anyways because I'm doing something else. So it's probably been about a year or a year and a half before I've even had a ringtone go off on my phone because I always have it on silent. There's no point to this because it's a true story and it's just me trying to find my place in the universe because holy crap, I should have actually just enjoyed the moment and the beautiful bird song. And it's never going to happen again because I don't spend that much time in the forest. When I was in Canada, and this is, I think, hopefully the last story, but I'm getting to the end of the, the notes that I've made for stuff that happened when I was in Canada. I went to the pharmacy to buy some medicine, some headache medicine, so just some painkillers, uh, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, something, you know, exciting like that. As I went through, I was like, oh, it's, uh, you know, Tylenol, extra strength, this extra strength. And, uh, and then I started realizing there were no regular strength medicines anymore. Everything on the shelf in front of me, every brand had a corner label that said extra strength. Now, I didn't want extra strength because I didn't think it was necessary. I was just having a mild headache, maybe from being so active in a different way or jet lag or something like that. I just wanted some mild medicine. But then I realized if everything is extra strength, then nothing is extra strength. It's all just now the new strength. So there is no need for extra strength medicine because now all medicine is extra strength. Now the question is what will happen after this? Because you're going to have to get something that is, when you release it, stronger than extra strength because extra strength has become the de facto standard of what strength is. So it must be premium strength or super strength or superior strength. It'll probably be a couple years before it happens, but I think it's going to be the next sort of marketing challenge that faces advertising firms as they try to market a new brand of the same drug Actually, I guess now if I'm in that mode thinking about it, 
you wouldn't want extra strength. You would be want super speed. You'd want it to work faster. So maybe it's stronger, that's great, but it doesn't matter if it's stronger, if it takes forever to start. So what you would need is the, the super fast acting extra strength, something like that. So there you go, I've solved your problem. I was having a hauls the other day, which is probably not interesting to anyone, but I noticed that the hauls said that it was made in Thailand. And that seemed really interesting to me. Then I suddenly started wondering, what does the Halls factory smell like? Because the Halls that I was having were eucalyptus mint flavor, which was pretty, pretty nice smell. And I thought the Halls factory must smell pretty good overall. But Thailand's a very hot, wet place. So that could be a, a negative combination. So you have this minty eucalyptus smell mixed with the sort of oppressive heat and humidity. That might not be a good smell anymore. So... And you have all, you have all the, the, the koalas all over the walls and weird things like that. I mean, it's just, it seems like a weird combination. And now I have this really strong desire to go to Thailand and visit the Halls factory where they make throat lozenges. Core question, are conservatives tougher than liberals? It is an interesting question because I think you need a definition of what tough means. And then you have to do sort of a survey of just general people. Uh, but I think really the biggest problem for me is, is defining tough because there is physically tough, there is mentally tough, and then I think this would be politically tough. So I think if you're talking politically tough, I actually do think that conservatives are tougher than liberals. That's almost the stance of the conservative party is that they take a hard stance on most things. They want everything to be competitive, sort of in the Darwin evolutionary sense, where only the strongest survive. They don't feel that people should take care of each other. And they take a lot of very hard stances on those things. They don't even believe in protecting the environment that they live in because it should be used for the resources within. But if you're talking about are conservatives physically tougher than liberals, it's a very difficult question because you have conservatives tend to skew older which would actually make them less tough than someone who is in their physical prime. But you have liberals who don't believe in violence or don't believe in any sort of conflict. So they also wouldn't have any experience and therefore wouldn't be tough. So on that scale, maybe conservatives and liberals are kind of equal. But this is maybe for me the biggest problem with Quora questions is because 90% of the time I read a question and I need definitions of almost everything they're saying before I could actually even consider giving them a real answer. But I also think most of the questions, as the whole premise of this segment is, they're not really asking questions. What they're saying is, here's my statement. I've put it in question form. Please provide me with evidence and arguments to help support my point. Are conservatives tougher than liberals? We just don't know because conservatives and liberals, it also is a secondary problem of what country you're talking about. Because a liberal from a strict Middle Eastern country would be very conservative by Western standards. Whereas a conservative from a very liberal country would be left-leaning in a place like America. So we need some definition of terms. I propose... So now I'm thinking we need to remake Quora so that every part of the question has some sort of signifier or definition included with it so we can actually understand the question in the first place. Also, we should make it so they're actual questions. So have you ever made a mistake? If you thought even for a second, no, you're probably a bit of a dick.
if you now feel the urge to defend yourself against me, to argue with me mentally, so in your head you're arguing that you're not a dick, you are actually an asshole. And then if, for the remainder of the time I'm speaking, you are thinking of counter-arguments and justifications that you are 100% not an asshole, you can just stop it and give up because you are absolutely confirming that I am talking about you, therefore you are an asshole. That's the only way you would know I was talking about you is if you were the asshole responding to me. The biggest asshole I ever met was a guy named Ross Tuttleman. I'm not afraid to use his name because I'm pretty sure he might be dead by now only because of the lifestyle choices he made. I worked with this guy for six months in an English school in Japan. And every week he came in and every week he had some different weird or stupid story he would tell me. And they were always to try to impress me. He had this deep desire to try to impress me, probably because he knew I was not impressed by him. So Ross, the first couple times, uh, it was about his clothes. So he wore mismatched ties and suits and shirts on purpose. And then he asked me why I wore nice clothes. So I, to be honest, I'm not even much of a dresser. I just wore a suit that was, you know, a proper normal suit. Because at this time, I didn't know about tailors and things like that. I, I bought an off-the-rack suit, I wore it, and that was it. But compared to him, I looked like a million dollars. So he asked me why I did that, and I said, well, you know, uh, we have to wear a suit to work, so I just wear a, a regular suit. And didn't even really think about it at all. And then he clearly wasn't asking about me, because assholes never do. He was trying to get to the point where he could tell me about him. So he said, ah, I mismatch everything on purpose to stick it to the man. Now, I don't know who the man was in this case because our management was not located within the school. He was not embarrassing anyone who worked with him because his inability to dress himself did not reflect on others. If someone came into the school and looked at me and him, they wouldn't think, oh, that guy's dressing weird on purpose to make that other guy look bad. They would say, that guy's dressing weird. But this shows sort of the mentality he thought. He thought that, very much like most assholes, the universe was centered around him and thus everything he did affected other people. He didn't realize that he was an isolated incident and not the core function of the whole system. At the end of every lesson this guy taught, and it was almost always one-on-one -on -one lessons because very few people would take his lessons, and any girl who took his lesson wouldn't take it twice, and any guy who took his lesson wouldn't enjoy it because he wouldn't be into them. At the end of every lesson with a girl, he would lean in and he would say, of all my students, not only do you have some of the best English, but you're also the most beautiful. And I heard that line multiple times a day for months. And then after a while, he just stopped having students. So then I didn't have to hear that line anymore. But that meant he sat around bored trying to get my attention so he could tell me stories about how awesome he was. The worst story he ever told me was when he came into work and he looked very, very proud of himself. And this is one of those things when this kind of person looks proud of themselves, you know they've done something horrible to someone else. So he started telling me about how a girl showed up at his apartment last night and she was drunk and he let her in because he knew what she was there for and he gave me that, that leer that I had come to be very uncomfortable with. And the young lady then proceeded to fall unconscious on his couch. And he told me, again very proudly, that he did it anyways. And at this point, he had crossed a line. He had gone too far. I was disgusted. I didn't have the young woman's name. I didn't have any proof that this was a real thing, so I couldn't actually do anything about it, but I really wanted to report him. Now, I had very few courses of action to take. At the time, I was setting up a website, and when I set up the website, I bought a domain, and when I bought the domain, I got a domain name free. 
So I had a domain name to play around with that I didn't necessarily want to keep. So I set up a website called RossTuttlemanSucks.com. Now that website doesn't exist anymore. That's fine. And on it, all I did was write up the stories, just like I told you a couple, what Ross Tuttleman told me every single week. For about six months, I just collected the stories, collected the stories, typed them up and put them on this website. I didn't check the traffic. I didn't care. I just wanted there to be a record of what a bad person he was. Now that that website's gone, because I wasn't going to pay to renew it, this is going to stand as my testament to the universe. Now, the karma, the way this worked out was months later after he had left our company. Now, after he left the company, there was actually a little side issue where some Yakuza-looking types showed up at the main office and started asking if Ross Tuttleman works here. They said, no, he left a couple months ago. Clearly, he had done something or borrowed money from these guys, and they were looking for him. My understanding is that he took off and went to China. So I'm really... This is, again, takes us back to the beginning of this whole story where I think he might be dead by now just because of his life choices. But a few months later, I got an email... And it was from a young woman who had met a certain Ross Tuttleman when she was traveling around Japan. And he seemed okay. She met him in a bar, like you do, and they had hit it off, kind of okay. But then she got a weird vibe from him, so she didn't go home with him that night, but she thought, huh, you know what I'll do? I'll go check on the internet, as you do. So she searched for his name. Now, the first result wasn't Facebook. It wasn't some kind of MySpace or whatever it would have been at the time. The first result was RossTuttlemanSucks.com. So she spent an evening reading all the stories about Ross Tuttleman. She decided to send me an email and say, thank you, you saved me from a potentially very bad night. So I have not done a lot of great things in my life. I have not done a lot of worthwhile things. I have taken care of myself and people who are immediately important to me. But I have at least done one grand gesture, and that was to make a shitty, sarcastic website that saved a girl from potential date rape. That was all an aside. This goes back to the are you an asshole bit, but so that's proof of what an asshole is and what can happen to them when they run across someone who isn't such an asshole. I'm a bit of an asshole. I'm probably more on the dick side. Do you read the headline of a story and then speak like you know the facts? This happens so much on the internet because if you do, you're wrong. Like the word moist. Now, people who say, I don't like the word moist, I hate the word moist, the word moist is the most hated word in the English language, they are technically correct and incorrect at the same time. Because what they've done is read a headline and then translated that into a fact and now spread that fact around. The actual study they're referring to. So if anyone ever says to you, I hate the word moist, everyone hates the word moist, the the word moist is the most hated word in the English language, you can say to them, Uh, you are incorrect. Because what happened was the actual paper, the one that I actually read the whole paper of, found the study to be that the word moist in conjunction with other words was the most hated word. Because if you paired it with a moist wound, everyone was disgusted because it was so descriptive. But if you paired it with moist cake, no one had a problem with it. But saying that a word paired with another word is both disliked and neutral is not a great headline for a story. They took the most hated part, put that in the headline, and then did the first couple paragraphs without giving you the actual full information. And there you go, now you have something that's spread around the internet, and now everyone believes that the word moist is the most hated word in the English language, when it is absolutely not. If someone ever challenges you on that, you just ask them, when you hear moist cake, do you think it's gross? Because they probably don't. And if they say they do, they're lying. Because everyone loves moist cake. Do you know the Kruger-Dunning effect? 
If you did, your answer should be no. Because most people understand the general idea of the Kruger-Dunning effect, but they haven't actually bothered to read the whole paper, like I have. In fact, I keep a copy of the document in my desk to remind me not to get too highfalutin with other people every now and then. Originally, it's really interesting because it was about people thinking they were funny. And so they tried to study people who think they're funny. So they found that people who are not funny, if you could teach them that they weren't funny, they would get a little funnier. People didn't understand the structure of comedy or jokes or things like that. Then they wanted to do something more quantifiable, so they switched it to math, something you can actually measure, correct or incorrect. Because you could say someone might be funny, maybe they hit on a nice moment or something. Sometimes timing makes something funny that actually isn't. But math is something you can measure. You can get some right and some wrong, and then you're done. And they found if they could teach people they were bad at math, they immediately improved in math because they could start to see their own mistakes and errors. There was actually one more section, and I forget what that is, and I could admit that because I understand the Kruger-Dunning effect. So what did you just listen to? Well, that was about a 10-minute bit that I was going to turn into a comedy routine. When I came back from Canada, uh, I told all my friends about my comedy thing. I did it on this podcast. So if you, you want to hear that, you can go back, I think about three, four episodes and listen to it now. And one of my friends said, oh, there's actually an open mic night in Japan, in the city we live in, Nagoya, and you could go do it there. And of course, I immediately said no. Uh, I actually talked about that about two weeks ago. So you can go back and listen to that one if you want. But people wanted to know what the comedy routine or writing that I was working on would sound like. So this was the idea that I had. It hasn't been refined. It hasn't been put into actual joke form. It hasn't been made funny. But that was actually the first step in the process of making a five to 10 minute bit and all the elements I was going to throw into it. So I know the you might be a dick or you might be an asshole is a bit derivative of you might be a redneck or something like that. But it was really to lead me into a couple of other actual stories. And this was kind of the thing where I realized I'm not a comedian or joke teller because I like to tell stories. So I wanted some quick introductions to the story. And I was going to talk about Ross Tuttleman. And then if I had time or if I could make it work, I was going to talk about Moist. And then I was going to talk about the Cougar-Dunning effect. But you can see already I've gotten into huge amounts of content. And this is the problem that I actually suffer from most of all. And it would be the need for editing. But if you want a sense of what that evening was like, it was me going off a guy kind of the same way I was going off on Russ Tuttleman just now. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast. Become the, has become the, oh fuck, just cut all that.